The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Amen. Something about that name. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. This morning we'll be reading verses 25 through 34. I hope you brought your copy along, but if you didn't, we'll put the words up here on the screen. But I, I will ask you to stand with me as we show our respect for the reading of God's Word. Reading from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 25 through 34. This is the word of the Lord. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, He drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself because all of us are here. Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, this passage is an important passage for several reasons. First of all, uh, it's important because it's just in the word of God. Every passage in the word of God is important. Uh, Sometimes passages are more meaningful to us than some others. Uh, But this is a great passage. This tells us how the gospel left what we know as the Middle East and went to Europe. This is the first time the gospel had been preached on European territory. Uh, Paul had tried to go a certain way and the Holy Spirit would not let him go that way. And then he saw a vision of a man by night saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And the town of Philippi was in Macedonia. It was the first area in Europe to hear the gospel. So this is an important passage because this shows how the church left the Middle East and went on into Europe. Paul's missionary journeys would eventually carry the gospel to Rome, and some people believe that it went as far as Spain in the days of the Apostle Paul. But it's important because of that reason, and then it's important because of the question that this passage contains. The question that that jailer asked, what must I do to be saved, is life's most important question. Now, the sad fact is not many people are asking that question today. In fact, those of us who are Christians, sometimes we need to ask that question for them and tell them, here's what you need to do to be saved. I remember a couple of things that have happened just in the past couple of years. Paul, I remember one uh, last year at Christmas time after we had done the Christmas musical, somebody came down the aisle after the invitation was over and everybody was still fellowshipping and Uh, Somebody came down the aisle and said, Preacher, would it be too much trouble for you to tell me how to be saved? And I said, You know, that wouldn't be any trouble at all. And I sat down right about where Paula is over there, and I shared the gospel, and and a person got saved. And then a couple of years ago, we were in revival with Dr. Ted Trailer, 
and the Spirit moved particularly in a service one night and had a lot of people made decisions that night. And as everybody else was going out that way after the service, a person came down this way and looked me up and said, Preacher, I can't go home tonight until you tell me what I need to do to be saved. Well, I love that. That's happened twice in the last couple of years, but it doesn't happen as often as I wished it would. Uh, in fact, that's why we do things like My Hope for Billy Graham. Uh, people aren't coming to Christians uh, like the jailer came to Paul and Silas and saying, what must I do to be saved? And the requirements for salvation are still the same today as they were in those days. There's only one way to be saved. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Uh, but there's some things in this passage we need to understand. First of all, if you look back earlier in the passage, even though they had just carried the gospel to Europe, there was persecution. Uh, the Bible says in verse 19, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. What Paul had done is uh, there was a demon-possessed slave girl, and she followed Paul and Silas around and even though she was demon-possessed, she was speaking the truth. She said, these men are here to tell you a message about salvation from the Most High God. But she was not saying that to encourage people to be saved. She was saying that in a mocking way. And finally, Paul cast the demon out of her. When Paul cast the demon out of her, she was no longer able to predict the future. She was a fortune teller. And with the demon gone, she did not have demonic power to predict the future. And so the people that owned her got upset and they called the authorities and they arrested Paul and Silas for doing no more than preaching the gospel. Now I have to tell you this, I believe the day is coming. In fact, I believe some things that have happened in the last year or two have already told me that we are in a time when the church is going to be persecuted. We may not be dragged into the marketplace and berated or we may not be put in chains in the prison, but we are going to be persecuted. I like what John MacArthur said. He said, do you know how the apostle Paul spelled persecution? He spelled it O-P-P-O-R-T-U-N-I-T-Y, opportunity. Whenever the church is persecuted, whenever God's people are persecuted, God opens doors for us to minister much more effectively than when there is no persecution. Uh, we have some folks that we love dearly over in Pakistan right now preaching the gospel in a place where uh, the Muslims are in control of the country and of the region uh, where that family lives. And, and every day that they, that they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're marked for persecution. There are things they can't do, and there are things that they'll be in trouble if they're caught doing. So there was persecution in the early church. There's persecution today. But notice how extreme the persecution was. They were taken to prison. They were beaten, first of all. And then they were taken to prison. And probably the, the, jail, the jailer was probably the one who beat them with what we would call a cat of nine tails. They called it a flagellum in the, in the Roman Empire. And the people that used that were very adept. They knew how to put it on somebody's back. And they could put 40 lashes on somebody. And all the skin would be off their back. But they wouldn't be beaten badly enough to die. Uh, they may have wished they were dead. Uh, but they did not die. And so they were in prison after having been beaten. And notice it said he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. This tells us exactly. They were in the lowest part of the prison that was usually reserved for the hardest and, and most heinous criminals. And not only were they there, but their feet were in stocks. Now, that tells you what had gone on. But I love this next one. 
Notice in verse 25, after they've been persecuted, after they've been beaten and put in prison, what are they doing? I, I love it because it says that they were singing praises to God and praying at midnight in the jail. Now you think about what you would be doing. For the cause of Christ, if you had been arrested, for the cause of Christ, if you had been beaten and your back was made raw, and for the cause of Christ, if you were locked up in a prison, at midnight in the darkest part of the night, would you be singing praises and offering prayers to God? I'm afraid most of us would be having a pity party. Most of us would be feeling sorry for ourselves. Most, most of us would be looking around and saying, well, why didn't they do this to Brother Don Dixon? He deserved it more than I did. Or why didn't they do it to Brother Paul? He deserved it more than I did. Uh, but that's not what Paul and Silas were doing. This was one of the most sincere prayer meetings and praise sessions you've ever heard. Now, I don't know what they were singing. I, we don't know a lot of the hymns of the early church. In fact, we only have a few remnants of the hymns that they sang in the early church, and most of them are found in the epistles of Paul. So Paul knew what to do when he praised the Lord. And so instead of moaning and groaning and having a pity party, and instead of Paul saying, I'm a Roman citizen, you can't treat me this way, they began to talk to the one who caused them to go there in the first place. They began to talk to the Lord. Uh, when you have a problem, remember that you have not done everything you can do to solve the problem until you take it to God. And I'll just be honest with you. If you're feeling low sometimes, and sometimes in all of our lives, we have things that make us feel low. Uh, we, we maybe get depressed or, or maybe we, we get what we used to call the blues. I want to tell you one of the best things you can do is just start praising God. You say, well, I don't know any of these new praise songs. I can't remember the words of these new. Well, sing an old hymn. It doesn't make any difference. When you praise God, you're not singing uh, for yourself anyway. You're singing for God. Just sing out of the overflow of your heart. Whatever is in your heart, just lift it to God. And so at midnight, there was a prayer meeting. And at midnight, there was a praise sing in the prison. And then notice God's power showed up. It says, suddenly. Now, the word suddenly there means in answer to their prayers and their praises. God answered them immediately. They were praising God and praying, and suddenly this was a divine answer to their prayers. This was a divine response to the praise that they were singing. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. Now let me tell you something about ancient jails. Ancient jails were the most secure buildings in the ancient world. Why? Because you locked people up in the jail that you did not want to get out. Uh, your home would not have been built as solidly as this jail was. And most jails were built with most of them underground. And they were built with solid walls and, and most of the chains were attached to the walls while the walls were being made. The, the, the chains were set in the walls. So this was a solid building. But when God sends an earthquake, notice all the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open. You might want to circle that word all on the outline there. It said all the doors were open. Uh, there was not a locked door left in this prison. Now, I have been in jails on several occasions, not because I was arrested, but because I was doing ministry. Uh, I remember years ago as a young pastor, I got a call from the Talladega 
county sheriff's office and they said, uh, we, we like for the pastors to come down and do a service in the jail for us. And I said, well, when do I need to be there? And they said, well, we want you to come on Sunday afternoon. So I went down to the jail. I said, well, can I bring anybody with me? They said, no, the jail's kind of small. You just need to come by yourself. And so I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm bold. I'm going to go down there and preach. So I got down to the jail, and uh, I felt pretty good. I went in the jail, and they said, just go in here. This is where we have our meals, and this is where we bring all the prisoners when we want to tell them something. So uh, we, have our, we have our service here in the dining hall. So I, I went in the dining hall, and I was waiting for the prisoners to come in, and I felt pretty good until they locked the door. And when they locked the door, I realized... I'm locked in jail. You know, and all kind of wild rumors started running through my mind. What if somebody attacks me and takes my clothes and puts me in one of these jail suits and I'm locked up in here? And I thought, well, my wife will send somebody looking for me in two or three days, I think, so I might get out. And then when everybody got there, I didn't really know how to start preaching to them. Now, I know how to start preaching to y'all. I could say, well, it's good to see you here this morning. I couldn't say that to them in jail. They wouldn't be happy about that. I couldn't say, well, I'm glad to see so many in the service today. That wouldn't have been good. But, uh, and I, I learned another thing. As the prisoners came in, we started talking, having a conversation, and I realized that there was not one guilty man in the Talladega County Jail. They all came up to me and they said, Preacher, I need you to call my lawyer. My lawyer's crooked. And I think my wife is in on it with him. And I, I'm an innocent man, and I'm locked here. Almost everybody that came by, it was either their wife's fault or their lawyer's fault or somebody on the police force had it in for them. I found out there are no guilty people, at least in the Talladega County Jail, there were no guilty people. But I want to tell you, when you go behind those doors and they lock, if you've never been there, it is a sobering feeling to be locked in jail. And on this occasion, after the earthquake, all the doors were open. All the chains were loosed. And every prisoner in that jail could have fled. That was the power of God. All the doors were open. Everyone's chains came loose. And then there's a problem. Because the jailer realizes what has happened. He was awakened by the earthquake. And he realized what had happened, and as the jailer, he was responsible for the safekeeping of all these prisoners. And if one of them had escaped, one of them had escaped, he would have been put to death for dereliction of duty. And the Bible says he came running out and drew his sword and was going to commit suicide because he knew he would be put to death anyway, and he probably would have been crucified by the Roman government. And so he wanted to take the easy way out, he thought, and just fall on his sword. But Paul cried out with a loud voice. And here's the second miracle, not just the miracle of the earthquake and all the doors being opened. Paul said, do thyself no harm. We are all here. I want to tell you, if that happened today in the Shelby County Jail in Columbiana, uh, there would be every law enforcement officer they could get over there rounding up the prisoners. When jail doors open and prisoners get a chance to get out, they leave. But in this instance, we don't know why. The Bible does not tell us why. 
I think the jailers, I think the people that were prisoners wanted to see what was going to happen next. You know, these guys were praying and singing praises, and they weren't used to that in the jail. And then there was an earthquake, and they weren't used to that in the jail. And then when the doors were opened, all the prisoners stayed, and they weren't used to that in the jail. And so the jailer came running in. He called for lights. The last person that left that night took the lights with them. They took a torch with them or a candle with them. There were no lights on in the jail. It was dark. And so the jailer said, I'm not going in there without some lights. And so they brought lights, and the jailer went down in there. And notice the first thing he did was he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Now I want to tell you, you know what that's called in the Bible? That's called conviction. You can't be saved until you're convicted. Some of you say, well, I've never been convicted of anything. Well, you can't be saved until you're convicted. Now, you say, do you mean convicted like in a court of law? No, in a court of grace. And I want to tell you this, there's not an innocent person in this sanctuary today. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there is not an innocent person in this sanctuary today. Now, there are some precious little babies and some children down in the children's wing today. But can I be honest with you and tell you that they're not innocent? We have a precious little granddaughter up in North Carolina, and I appreciate your prayers, and people have been asking, and we're thankful that she hadn't had any episodes in two weeks. We're praising God for that, and we're trusting God to take care of whatever the problem is. But as much as I love that little girl, and I tell you what, we live for pictures and videos. I'm about to become a smartphone addict, I think. I've always said I wouldn't get one. I may get one now just to see my granddaughter in North Carolina uh, and see the videos they put on there of her. I have to borrow Mary's. And, uh, and she always looks at it first. You know, She says, oh, you ought to see this. And I'm going to replay it for me. And finally I get to see it. But as much as I love that precious little girl, she's not innocent. You see, she was born with a sin nature, just like her granddaddy was born with a sin nature, like her grandmother was born with a sin nature, like her mom and daddy were born with sin natures. Now, she doesn't willfully sin yet, but she will. We're sinners by birth, and the older we get, we become sinners by choice. And for a sinner to be saved, they have to be under conviction. I have done wrong. And this man came in, and he was trembling. He was emotional. And he asked them the most important question in life. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, some people say, well, preacher, you ought not use that language today. Why, nobody understands what it means to be saved. Well, I want to tell you this. We were talking about being saved and being saved forever before the world ever knew anything about salvation. Salvation began in the mind of God. And the people of God have every right to talk about being In fact, there's only two kind of people in the world. There are people who are saved and people who aren't saved. There are only two kind of people in this building. All of us are sinners, but there are saved sinners and there are unsaved sinners here. This old jailer was an unsaved sinner, but he was under conviction. That's the first step to salvation. He knew something was wrong. He ran in and knelt down before Paul and Silas, and then he took them outside and said, Sirs, 
What must I do to be saved? Do you see what he says there? What must? There are certain things that must happen for you to be saved. First of all, you have to be convicted. Secondly, you have to admit you're a sinner. Thirdly, you have to believe on Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what they told him. Notice their gospel presentation. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now this does not teach that just because this man got saved, everybody in his house got saved. What it means is when this man got saved and the people in his house saw the change in his life, they knew they needed that kind of change in their lives and they got saved too. That's what it means. You can't get saved for your children. You can't get saved for your spouse. You have to get saved for yourself. And they said, sir, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. But then they're saying, and because of your influence in your home as the man of the house, when you become a Christian, probably everybody in that house will become a Christian. That's what happened. Now I want to look down at the bottom and see what Jesus said about salvation. There's a lot of talk about salvation. Now somebody wrote a book not long ago called Quit Asking Jesus in Your Heart. And I understand what they're talking about, but I want to tell you, unless Jesus is in your heart, you're not saved. Unless Jesus is Lord of your, that's what it means for Jesus to be in your heart. He doesn't physically come and live in your, the organ that pumps blood through your body. He comes and lives in your heart, your will, your mind, your soul. He takes up residence in your body through the Holy Spirit. And only God can do that. It's called the miracle of the new birth. Did you ever tell your mother and daddy that you didn't ask to be born? I remember one time I had done something and gotten in trouble. And I mean, both my parents were on me. I was an only child. And when you're an only child and you do something wrong, you can't point to your brother or your sister and say, they made me do it. You have to stand there and take it. And, and I remember one time saying to my mom and daddy, well, I didn't ask to be born. And I can't remember exactly what they said, but it was something like, well, if we'd have known you was going to act like this, we wouldn't have asked for you to be born either. Now, it may have been something like that. Some of you parents with teenagers may feel like that sometimes. But I want to tell you this. If you want to be born again, you have to ask to be born again. God doesn't just, doesn't just say, well, I'm going to make you born again against your will. No. You have to surrender your will to him. You have to say, I'm a sinner. I need salvation. The only way I can be saved is to turn from my sin, repent of my sin, and turn to Jesus and ask him to save me. Notice what Jesus said. He said, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. That's two verses after John 3.16. All of us could quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But we need to know John 3.18 because the same Lord Jesus said these words, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. John MacArthur said this about belief. He said, so salvation is a question of believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be and believing that he did what he claimed to do. Now that's salvation. Without belief, there's no salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There has to be conviction, yes. There has to be repentance, yes. 
But there has to be belief. I believe in Jesus Christ. You know, I told you that I've been in a lot of jails. I've been in Holman Prison down in Atmore. I never will forget, though, the time I went to the Jefferson County Jail. Uh, Linda Kenimore's sisters are here. They may know the boy I'm going to talk about. When I was on the staff at First Baptist Center Point, I was uh, 20 years old. That's been a long time ago. I met my wife when I was 19. She was 15. Now, we didn't get married then. I want you to know that, all right? Don't think that we married when I was 19. She was 15. No, we didn't do that. We waited. I courted her. and uh, we, we did what we were supposed to do. But when I was 20 years old, I was teaching RAs, teaching Sunday school, and coaching RA basketball at First Baptist Center Point. And I had a little boy on my basketball team whose daddy was a deacon. In fact, I had a couple of boys on that team whose daddies were deacons. And I enjoyed teaching them in RAs, and I enjoyed coaching them in basketball. And we weren't all that great. In fact, we had a team at the church that beat us regularly uh, because the Shorty Hallmark was the associate pastor. He got first pick. I got second pick on the kids that played basketball. But we worked just as hard as they did, and our kids loved to play. And I had a little boy that to be honest with you, he really wasn't a very good basketball player, but he loved to play. And he'd come to practice, and he'd practice hard. And so he played. And uh, we won most of our games. We came in third, I think, in the league and went to the state tournament, and our own team put us out of the state tournament. But that little boy on that team, when he got to be a teenager, left the church. He fell in with some bad companions. He started not just doing drugs, he started selling drugs. He became an alcoholic and a drug addict while he was still in his teens. And I got a call one day from his mother. And she said, Mike, you knew him when he was 10 years old and you were his RA teacher and his basketball coach. Would you go see him? He's in the Jefferson County Jail. And so I went down to the Jefferson County Jail to talk to him. He really didn't want to talk to me, but he finally did. And he was angry. He had not reached a point that he later reached of admitting his guilt and repenting and asking forgiveness. But while he was on drugs and while he was drinking one night, he and two other boys went into the trailer of a man and they robbed him. And while they were robbing him, he woke up. He recognized who they were. He told them, don't take my money. And as they started out the door, he obviously said, I'm going to call the police. And those three young men went back in that trailer and killed that man. That young man I had on my basketball team, his fingerprints were found on the knife. The other two guys got plea deals, but this young man got the death penalty. When I went down to the Jefferson County Jail that day, and I sat in a little cubicle-like thing, and I was locked in, and they brought him in. When they brought him in, he had handcuffs on both hands. He had a chain around his waist. And those handcuffs were chained to his waist, and both of his legs had shackles on them. 
and he had to shuffle his feet to get along. And we sat there that day, and I tried to talk with him, and he was angry. He said, I didn't do this. The other two guys put me up to this. They sold me out. I'm innocent. And I told him what I tell everybody when I visit them in jail. The Bible says if you confess your sins, you get forgiven. You don't get forgiven unless you're willing to admit it and confess it and repent of it. He wasn't ready for that that day. But I did what his mama asked me to do. You know, as I think about that, that's the first time in my life that I was across from a man who was condemned by the courts of our land for murder. And he was later executed for that murder. That was a solemn day. I sat there looking at this young man, and he looked much older than he was. Those drugs and alcohol and hard living had taken a toll on him. I'm thankful to say that before he was executed, he repented. He asked forgiveness from the man's family, and he admitted that he had been the main one to take part in that murder. And I believe with all my heart that God forgave him. And I hope to see him in heaven. But as I sat there across from him that day, I couldn't get it out of my mind. He's condemned already. He's already condemned. They had set a date for his execution. It ended up being many, many years later because of all the appeals that he was able to make. His mother even appealed to the governor to change his sentence from death to life without parole. And the governor told his mother, I cannot do that. He's guilty of murder, and he has to pay the price. But here was a man that I had known as a 10-year-old boy who loved to go to church, he loved to play basketball, he loved RAs. But he got away from God. I want to tell you, there but for the grace of God goes every one of us. Don't you think, I'd never do that. I've heard some men say, I'd never commit adultery. Are you a better man than David? I'd never murder anybody. You're a better man than Moses. He did. You see, God can forgive that. And most of us are not guilty of those. Most of us are guilty of what Jesus said. We're angry with people. And he said if we're angry with people, we might as well go ahead and kill them. Because that's not kingdom living. You know, the sad thing is, that day in that jail... Jefferson County I don't know how many other condemned men were there I only saw one but I'll never forget looking into his eyes and thinking he is already condemned but I'm reminded of that when I hear Jesus say he that does not believe 
on me is condemned already. That's why I'm encouraging our folks to get involved with my hope, Billy Graham. That's why I tell people we need to reach out. People aren't asking the question the jailer asked. They're not asking what must I do to be saved. We need to ask it for them. I saw the trailer this week for the presentation that Billy Graham is going to give on November 7th. By the way, it's going to be on Fox 6 at 6.30 that night. It'll be on some other networks at other times, but it's going to be on Fox 6 at 6.30 that night. So remember, if you're going to show it on television, you need to have everybody there and seated by 6.30 that night. You know what Billy Graham is preaching on that night? He's preaching on the cross. We need to pray that that message burns into the hearts of those who, as Jesus has said, they're condemned already because they've not believed on the name of the one and only Son of the Father. Do you know somebody that's condemned already? Reach out to them. If they don't ask, what must I do to be saved? Ask it for them before it's everlastingly too late. We'll close with this. Did you notice what happened after he got saved? He took them to his house. He washed their stripes. He fed them. And like they said, everyone in his household came to know Jesus. And guess what? They were baptized. And by the way, beloved, when the Bible says baptized, I want you to understand, it doesn't mean they were sprinkled. That word does not mean sprinkle. It means immerse, submerge, to dunk. You say, well, you're a Baptist. I'd expect you to say that. Listen, you know what baptism is? It is an outward sign of an inward change. And Jesus told us to baptize people. I would hate to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ saying, well, Lord, I just didn't want to be baptized. Listen, Jesus said we ought to be baptized, and that's enough for me. If if the only verse we had in the Bible about baptism was the Great Commission, that's enough for me. But every time you see a changed life in the New Testament, When there's water there, there's baptism. Because that's an outward sign of an inward change. Some of you need to be baptized. Some of you need to be baptized because you got your baptism wrong. You got baptized, and then you got saved. Let me tell you, if you got baptized before you got saved, that wasn't baptism. That was a dunking. That was an immersion. That was a submersion. But only baptism can be administered after there's that inward change. You see, when you believe, it makes a change in you. And when you're changed, you'll change others around about you. The most important question in life, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's the only answer to life's greatest question. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful story of the faithfulness of Paul and Silas and of the supernatural answer to their prayer and praises and of the salvation of a Philippian jailer. 
And Lord, I pray today that if there's someone here that needs to ask that question, what must I do to be saved? This would be the day, this would be the hour they would ask that question. And they would hear the answer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Father, there may be those who need a church home. There may be those here who need to be baptized, Lord. You know the hearts of every person. There may be people here today who have loved ones that are walking around under condemnation because they've never believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. May this be the day that a holy fire is ignited in their heart and that they can't rest until that loved one hears the answer to that question. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. May we be about your business until you come for us or until you call us home. For Jesus' sake I ask it. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.